0: episode 113 of the ranting Ranges podcast in partnership with inside the rink i'm your host jacob perkowitz and i'm alongside my co-host brett and in this week's episode we have on micah blake mccurdy owner of hockey biz it's all analytics this episode but first just want to let you all know to go to inside slash espn subscribe to espn plus to watch games and more and yeah let's get to it and we are back with micah blake mccurdy owner of hockey biz micah how's it going uh, i'm well thanks thanks for having me of course um so before we get started here would you want to mention anything about hockey viz i figured we'd start off with that first about the people that don't know even though um you kind of could find it anywhere on twitter uh about the analytics how it started
1: yeah so so i started when i was i'm a mathematician by trade or that's how by training i should say um and while i was doing my phd in australia i got real homesick for canada And uh, decided to start doing some simulations for fun because that's my idea of fun. And then I thought, well, I'd better do the simulations right. So I got to start evaluating talent a little bit better. And that was the core of an idea that grew into uh, an entire website where I would start making visualizations because I'm no good with tables and numbers and I got to see stuff to understand it. And so I started making diagnostic stuff just for myself so that I could understand it and then sharing it on Twitter just with a couple of my friends. In fact, first on Facebook, because I'm old and stuff. But um, but then moved over to Twitter a few years after that and found a much bigger audience. And then people were like, oh, can you do this for the Islanders? Can you do this for the Rangers? Can you do this for, you know, all of the teams in the league? Can you do this for the Maple Leafs? I got constantly. And uh, and so I was like, well, you know, it's the same code. I can just run it again like I did for Ottawa, which is the team that I that I still cheer for and used to cheer for much more seriously. Uh, And then I was like, well, I could do it for all teams, I guess. And then people got to asking me all the time on Twitter. Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And so i thought like a fool if i make a website then people can just go to the website and they won't bother me uh that obviously does not work people bother me constantly and uh so then i turned it into a job where now you have to pay for some other website uh and so that's that's how hockey viz became my day job
2: that's really cool that's a great it's a great origin story um and I I didn't know you were a a sense fan. And before we get into the Rangers questions, now I, I just have to know as a as a fantasy owner of both Tim Sutzla and uh, and Brady Kachuk, and then uh, a myriad of other players too, as well. And 100 from, points behind me, also from, from, that from, <laughs> from Norris to Sanders, and I mean, there's a lot. Okay, I invested heavily in this team because I thought, man, this is a team on the come, and they're going to absolutely light it up this year. What happened? What is going on? Because I don't, I look at that team on paper. And I'm like, I
1: don't understand how they're this bad. Uh, a number of things happened. The most important thing is that uh, the team goaltending, which was never a strength, got even worse. Okay. And it's uh, it's basically, as a tandem, it's basically the worst in the league. Uh, and uh, that has created a pile of other problems, uh, exacerbating all of their other issues. The depth at both positions is real bad, even though the top at both positions is real strong. Uh, but that makes you uniquely vulnerable to injuries to your best players, uh, and Thomas Shabbat has been out for like half the start of the season. Yep,
2: that's
1: there. There's that's the part that I understand. There's actually considerably more than that uh, that I don't understand. Um, also, many things that could go wrong that didn't have to go wrong have gone wrong. So there's been a combination of of bad luck and also just some real bad play, especially from their goalies. Okay. Yeah.
2: That that, that tracks. That'll. Uh, that'll leave the team alive. I just I, I really thought they were gonna do gangbusters this year. Um I've been really surprised, especially by the lack of production from from Switzerland this year. Like he seemed like he's really taken a step back, uh, which I was not seeing coming.
1: Well, I, I was among like Sen's sort of people, I was much less high on them this year than sort of the average. Uh, but I've restrained myself from from crowing hmm. about it, uh, because even what I expected, they have they have comfortably underperformed
2: wow so
1: so it's been you know i wasn't down on them by any means i was like yeah you know like a bubble team they'll be right in the mixture the whole year
2: yeah. and that's
1: not that's not close to what yeah. they've been
2: no not at all not at all well yeah. i have all my sympathy uh you know I, historically never really cared uh much either way uh for the Sens, but i really like a lot of the young talent that they have so i've kind of become like a I've become like a tertiary team that i that i cheer for um so you have all my sympathy in the world uh for them um but moving on to the actual uh, point of this conversation, which is Rangers focus here. Um, what's impressed you? And this seems like a callous question after we just did this. Uh, this wasn't set up this way. But uh, what's impressed you most about the Rangers team this year compared to last year? So uh, I have a bit
1: of a weird answer to this. I, In some sense, I am not particularly impressed with the Rangers this year compared to last year. But when I was looking into the differences between them, statistically, I see a lot of similarities. A very great deal. Of, of things are almost exactly the same. Uh, at 5 on 5 the chance creation looks extremely similar to me. Uh, the goaltending was excellent last year. It's excellent again this year, the, and, and very similarly excellent, too. Um, the finishing is better. That's the, the one real improvement um, where the, the Rangers are converting chances uh, comfortably better than they were last year. Um, but the other thing that happened last year is that the goals that they did score didn't get them the reward that you would usually expect. So when you when you score like there's there's a sequencing effect. Baseball people know about this real well. You know you score a single and then a home run, you hit a single sorry and then a home run, that's two runs. Home run and then a single, that's one run. When it's the same hits, right? And there's nothing that changes there except the sequence. Which yeah. one comes first, which one's comes after. So hockey has a version of this. It's kind of the same sort of luck where if you score then the value of the goal you score is totally dependent on the previous score, and it's not really really obvious. But if you actually like get all the way into it, you realize that it's really substantial. If you tack more goals onto a game that you're already winning, the benefit is much much less, even though it's not actually more difficult. It doesn't show skill of the individual players less to score in a game that you've already you know if you're already up by one, it feels great to score another goal, even though it doesn't seriously affect the outcome. Yeah. And so last year, the Rangers finishing gave them maybe four or five standings points fewer than you would expect based on like if you just took those same goals and gave them to them at random in in all the games that they played, you would expect that they would get more for their money than they got. So that's a peculiar form of bad luck that they had last year that this year has simply gone away which is how luck both good and bad that's what tends to happen and so they haven't been unlucky in that specific way and it's the kind of thing which is so subtle you might not even notice it where but on the other hand it adds up and and just i was curious so i went back and looked at like you know what does it look like in in points uh and so i'm seeing i looked at the rangers that i had predictions for last year at this time uh and in projection, they're looking four to five standings points worse than they look this year, which is almost exactly the same size as the effect of that sequencing luck on their finishing specifically. So you can call if you want, you can call it clutch. Um, but I, I find this word annoying as a sort of card-carrying nerd, where I, I think a lot of it is just random, where the goals happen to fall. Uh, and they fell in unlucky patterns last year. And, uh, and this year, they just aren't. And I think that's the most substantial difference.
2: Wow, so that's interesting. so basically what you mean is that like they're 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 scoring goals when it matters, and last year they were scoring goals when it didn't matter as much.
1: Yeah. And and of course the effect is not particularly large. You know, four points over the course of an entire season is just a couple wins, right? Yeah. And and every team from the best to the worst are gonna have a couple moments where you're like, oh man, just that one little play, if that had gone differently, we would have won that game and that other one little play. And that's always true, and that's part of what makes hockey so fun, is that there are those, you know, those high leverage moments. But that also opens up the game for more luck, for more randomness. Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing about luck too is that there's different scales of luck, and people want it to be short-lived. They want to say, ah, well, you know, we got to be real bad on that game, but it'll be fine next game. Not only might it not be fine next game, it might not be fine all season. Like you can that's the thing about luck, right? You don't know how long it's going to last. And it can and it can shift on you in a bunch of different ways. And so one of the things that i enjoy doing data work for is so that i can see that at big scales it's it's so easy to say well you know I, that happened a bunch of times and so it has to be has to be skill somehow but that i mean just
2: not how it is right yeah that makes sense yeah a lot of uh, uh
0: me and brett discussed like a couple of weeks ago how there were so many tight games we maybe were able at that point to count one or two that the rangers lost that were just tied after the second period it always managed to go their way whether it was a depth scoring by vc or cooley um or one of their star players came out uh their goaltender stood on their head they just seemed to always get that coin flip uh whenever it was a tight game uh i i guess also this um you sort of answered this before so i'll try to reword it here uh you mentioned how the 5v5 is very similar to last year but is there anything different about it at all in any particular area or it's just really the same
1: you know the finish is better the five on five finish specifically is better so the chances themselves both offensively and defensively there i see basically no difference at all the where the amount of offense that they're creating and the amount of offense that they're permitting their opponents to create but the way that they've turned those chances into goals specifically at five on five this season has been appreciably better uh and I, I think that they're it's appreciably better in a way that's not just luck. I think they're also, you know, that that finishing ability. This is one of those things where sort of modern, like, I, I don't know quite how to chart all the eras of it, but modern analytics has kind of come a little bit more slowly to this idea about quantifying goal scoring specifically over and above chance creation. And and the, sort of the, the the revelation that kicked off a lot of analytics work that I grew up in, if you want. Um, it feels funny to use these words, you know, like we're talking about whole ages when it's actually like eight years, nine years tops. The You know, people were so focused on on just total shot chances on between the blue lines on total offense and defense. And, uh, and more recently, we're realizing that not every fluctuation in goal scoring is pure luck, that there are teams and the Rangers have been one of these teams. You know, I've never had to convince people on Rangers, um, in Rangers circles, you know, that that finishing ability is is a real skill. And some teams just have more high-quality finishers than others. And so the Rangers, even last year, they were finishing above their chances. Um, And this year, they're doing even more. And I think that's primarily skill-driven.
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, on spec, I, when you say that, the first thing that flashes in my head for the difference between this year and last year is like, yeah, you have Panarin shooting the puck and you have Trocek putting the puck in the net. I'm almost like... Knowing that, I almost wish I was like, could you isolate those two players out on their finishing chances and then say, does the team actually do better versus this year or last year? Or is it like those two guys scoring way more than they did last year uh, changing our finishing you know, overall?
1: It's it's not easy to get a kind of team level change at that scale. Like last, last year, the Rangers were finishing, like getting about 103 goals for every 100 goals worth of chances. And and this year it's like 104, 105. So that's not, you know, that's not a huge difference. But of course that's for every hundred goals worth of chances, you know, you're putting that in every several games. So you're right. getting a spare goal every every five or six games. You know, that doesn't sound like a lot, but, but it really does add up. So you uh-huh. won't, but you will see like focusing on individual players, you see these fluctuations, which are so substantial that you're like, oh, so-and-so had a rough year last year. But every year there's going to be some players on every team who have rough years. Right. You know, it's just, just like every year, even on the teams, even like some, some guy on San Jose this year is going to be like, man, I had a career year and he's going to be right. And, and he's not going to say it to anybody because the team is going to finish in the basement of the league. Right. Like, you know, but those like that stuff is going to happen to every team. And so you, you want to try to like, it's so easy to get caught in these traps where you're like, Oh, so-and-so he had a dreadful year last year and an awesome year that year. That's got to be the difference. When actually, or well, I mean, you don't know for certain, because frequently, you know, you don't want to, this is part of why I could never be a coach, because you don't want to go to that guy and be like, your big improvement is not a big deal to us. Like, that's how you, you (laughs) as a coach, you cannot be like that. Yeah. But but as an analyst, you can say, look, there's 18 guys on the ice, there's going to be way more on the roster through the course of the year, there's going to be some ups, there's going to be some downs. We're not going to worry specifically, you know, except for the, the very best players. We're not going to worry specifically about exactly what is happening here versus what's happening there. We can just, as a, as a team perspective, we can just ride that out, both for better or for worse, and not let it get, not let it distract us. Whereas if you're that guy, you know, even NHL players who are in terrible slumps are still doing a lot of stuff right all the time. And individuals, they have to take a totally different approach. And so there's there's a disconnect there between analysis, whether you do it in an old fashioned style or whether you do it in a modern style analysis and performance where, you know, you you just want to take totally different approaches. Uh, And it can sound it can sound a little bit mean, like I don't care about that guy, you know, and it's not that he's not important. It's just that it's just one guy or just two guys. And and if you want to look at the whole team, you need to take a broader, slightly more impersonal approach.
2: Well, that, that actually kind of dovetails either nicely or poorly depending on your perspective on the next question, which is uh, how is the team performing with and without Kako uh, before and after he left?
1: So I, I think Kako is he's a really interesting character to me, really interesting um, profile. Um, I think he's he's looking a lot better this year, uh, defensively specifically. Um, and, and the way that he gets his defensive results uh, are a little bit unusual. Um, Or, well, not so unusual, in fact, in practice, but a little bit um, unconventional for fans because he gets a lot of his good defensive results by taking a lot of risks, specifically taking risks in the defensive zone. That's where the where the payoff defensive payoff is so, so unsatisfying. Like if you take a risk in the offensive zone and it pays off, you get at least a really nice chance, frequently a goal. You know, you you get the immediate reward where you get to go like, oh, good job. You know, if you take a risk in the defensive zone, the payoff is that you don't have to play defense at all for like half a shift, maybe a whole shift.
2: Yeah,
1: That's not not nearly as impressive. But, and especially it's not nearly as impressive if what you do afterwards doesn't stand out. So if you make a great play in the defensive zone where you get yourself a clean zone exit and then you butcher the zone entry that you're trying to follow it up with, you know, some useless dump, you try to put some pressure on, doesn't work, the other team gets the puck. But in the meantime, your guys get to change. You get 10, 20, 30, 40 seconds totally safe. You know, that's the defensive payoff. It's not very salient. It doesn't stand out. But that's what Kako's doing a lot of, is taking risks in his own zone. And that's moving the puck completely, like removing the defense entirely from what you think about it conventionally. But it's no longer even in the zone, let alone on the stick of your point. And so while you're cursing about how you know, whatever happened next didn't work out in a way that's really interesting, the benefit of the defense is still continuing slowly in the background. So it's kind of like exercise, where you get this, like, you know, you're fitter, but you don't feel it. You know, you feel it when you try to do something. And you get that that mismatch of offense to defense is, is really substantial, and Kako, I think, really exemplifies it. There's other players who get strong defensive benefits in totally different ways, uh, whereas Kako, I think, is specifically doing it in the defensive zone in-exit offense, where he's getting out of his own zone. And when he's not there, they, they miss that.
2: And that leads to them spending a lot more time in the defensive zone and, and, and garnering more high-danger chances against them?
1: Yeah, and just, and, well, and not just high-danger chances, but all kinds of chances, right? Right. And so when they're, when they're low-danger, you don't notice, because they're not salient, but the low-danger ones add up the same way that the high-danger ones add well, slowly, more slowly than the high-danger right. ones. But it all still adds up, and it's all um and the zone time itself of course adds up because the time you spend like offense is about is about good things that happen defense when it's good is about time and so that's part of why i'm always trying to do both offense and defense as an analysis with rates where where like you know i can say well so-and-so has 15 goals that's great 15 goals in how much time that and because once you put it in rate terms Then you can start to analyze defense the same way. Well, how many defenses does this guy have? You know, what, what has he done defensively? And you can make yourself a video reel of like, here's a nice little play. Here's a nice little play, but that's not what you're getting from the defense. And so that's not the way to evaluate. And so that's, you can do great video work. And if you're a video coach, then you can make your money that way. And I could never, but if you want to look at benefits for defense, you need to be looking at time, primarily time spent without shots. So how much are you actually allowing? And, and and the disconnect there again happens where the shots that you're allowing are frequently not, quote, so-and-so's fault. You know, you can, you can watch the team with a, a weak defender. You can watch them allow shot after shot after shot. And you might never point at that one guy and be like, look what he did wrong. See how that's why we're bleeding shots against. Because actually what he might have done wrong is that he might have had the puck on his stick and he might have made an ordinary play when he could have made a risky play with a real payoff. The real payoff being he could have gotten the puck out of the zone. And so sometimes you, you you watch a guy make a safe play where the payoff is very, very small and you say to yourself, well, can't complain about that, made the safe play. But if the payoff is always small, then you see it slowly when you bleed all these shots against and you don't even know who to blame so the only way you can get at that is by looking at at rates not at specific video work and that that's part of what i really like about data work as a method of analyzing defense it's much less personal it's much more difficult but it's also much harder to fool you know a player who's not taking enough risks they can fool a coach into thinking that they're good defensive. There, there's examples all over the league constantly every year, and although mercifully fewer than there used to be. But you can say, well, you know, this guy can't be the problem defensively. He's never doing anything wrong. Yeah, but he's not doing enough right.
2: Is there somebody you feel like is the worst offender of that?
1: Um, Mark Stoll was pretty bad at that back in the day. Okay. Um, he was a great, he was beloved of many coaches, and he just did not take the risks in his own zone that he should have. Um, or perhaps could not, you know, you can't, you can't discern between, like, what is very difficult from the outside to discern what's the difference between he's being told not to do that or he can't do that. You know, that's, that's sort of for experts to to decide. But one of the, I think one of the endearing, enduring features of data work is that you can start to quantify what, in NFL circles, people understand, you know, people will talk about quarterbacks not throwing enough interceptions as a kind of, like, way to you know it's supposed to sound like a bit of a jolt so you go oh i see he's not taking enough risks right. he's not getting not getting enough for his trouble and offensively in the nhl we understand this you know you talk about scorers and and guys you know playmakers especially and you'll say well you know he's not trying to make plays he's just being too plain he's not taking any risks in the offensive zone we tolerate risks when they're taken in the offensive zone even though they sometimes lead to glorious rush chances against yeah yeah but we don't tolerate risks in the defensive zone. And what we really should do more often sort of collectively is we should be telling defenders, by which I mean anyone with the with the puck on their stick in the zone, to make to take the kinds of defensive zone risks that actually give serious defensive benefits. What did,
2: what do those end up looking like?
1: Uh okay. it ends up looking like one turnover and a nice chance against plus Five or six clean zone exits instead of six kind of cruddy zone exits.
2: So do you mean like the difference between like uh you know guy gets a puck away from the guy in the corner and uh the the safe play is just chipping it off the glass and basically giving up a session to the other team in the neutral zone, that's a safe play versus holding onto the puck for the extra second, trying to catch a streaking winger to actually create a rush the other way. Is that what we're talking about here? It's like Risk, low well risk, in defensive zone?
1: That's maybe slightly exaggerated, but but you get little versions of it all the time where you have a, a little bit of time and space, you've got the puck on your stick in the corner, say, and you have a pass up the wall to a guy who might get pressured, and you have a pass up the middle to a guy who has a little bit less pressure on So if you take the pass up the middle, then if that pressure materializes a tiny bit faster than you expect, now it's probably going to be a turnover.
2: Right.
1: Same is true to the guy on the wall, but the turnover risk is less to the guy on the wall. guy pinches on the wall and now it's just a jam and now it's going to be a puck battle on the wall maybe you can overload maybe you can maybe you get beaten on that puck battle but it doesn't nothing jumps out at you as oh no but you have all this chance of not having possession whereas you take the risk to the pass in the middle and if the guy does not get pressured if your guy can take it cleanly and make another pass maybe or just wheel with it now all of a sudden you have a clean zone exit and you've got the puck in the neutral zone and now you can start thinking okay now what's next And even if now he gets pressured in the neutral zone and the puck gets turned over, now you're looking at a a team who's at least partially thinking about defense as well as offense, since they got to do a neutral zone regroup of some sort. They can't just pounce on it like that. But if you gambled wrong and they pounce on it right away, now you're giving up a really nice chance. And so a lot of coaches say to themselves, "Well, we're not going to allow top quality chances, and we're just going to tell our guys to not make the play that leads to that could lead to the quality chance against." And so you can get into the situation where you are so insistent that you're never, ever going to give up quarters that you give up dime after dime after dime after dime. After dime.
2: Right.
1: Interesting. And, and the only, so it's it's part of what makes that difficult is that you can't evaluate it properly unless you're looking not just at what's the worst that could happen, but also what's the best that could happen mm-hmm. defensively. And and this is, it is legitimately difficult you know, you can, you can say, well, you know, we're going to embrace risk and you could just get burned again and again and again. Right. And like, it's, it's difficult, not just in a sort of like, you know, you got to change your mindset. It's difficult that way, but it's also difficult because even after you've changed your mindset, you need to do a very careful balancing of risks. If you, if you balance it wrong, you could be deliberately walking into a strategy where you're just giving up way more chances than you need to. So it's, <laughs> and this is one of those things where I'm always a little bit careful. You know, I, I, I believe this very stridently that risk taking on defense is a frontier for the league. But my expertise in coaching is literally non-existent, probably negative. And so, you know, if somebody says, well, how would we do that? I would be like, you have professionals <laughs> who, who can do that for you. I can't be the guy telling you the scheme. Like, this is how you should tell your, you know, your low forwards, This is how you should tell them to sequence their reads. Like, I don't know how to do any of that. Right. now you need coaches. And, but, but the, the, like purely mathematical, these are the risk trade-offs that you could be having. These are the ones that you are having. You can see that already pretty easily. You know, not all teams are doing it wrong, but I think it's a blind spot of the league broadly where risk-taking in the defensive zone is considered immature, not a sometimes important deliberately strategic effect.
2: I like that.
0: Speaking of uh, young players, how has uh, Lafreniere been doing like what pops off most in your models for him in terms of improvement this season?
1: Uh I see some improvement in um in the way he's going through the neutral zone. Uh I think that's that's coming out in increased shots for the team, where they're getting which again is a, a function of time before where just being able to move the puck through the neutral zone a little bit better means that everything you do in the offensive zone, you're doing a little bit more. And so I think there's there's some improvement there. Um Part of why I say that is that it's showing up both in his impact on five on five offense and also on five and four offense, where the, where the, the key thing for, for volume is getting set up faster. So getting the puck in the zone a little bit sooner.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so that, that transition up the ice, I think is, um, is showing really well for him.
0: Yeah. He, he's, uh, I mean like last year, he acted like the puck was like a hot potato. I mean, he gets it for one second and he, he's already just launching at either east-west pass that's going to be turned over or just dump and chase. And now, like, you see him coming back uh, from the neutral zone into the defensive zone, taking the puck from the defensive and then breaking out uh, either not an on-man rush, but trying to create a rush chance. Though I did want to ask one thing regarding the 5v5. Um, was there no improvement in regards to chances in front of the net? Are they not getting in front of the net as much as last year? Because I know that was like the perimeter game last year. It, it was like the center of the ice was like the lava game. You just could not go to the middle of the ice.
1: Yeah, those there are some improvements there um in in places, but it's still pretty bad. The the Rangers offense, I mean, they they've never had the personnel for a like a cycling oppressive time-based offense they've and that's part of that it goes back to what we were saying about lafreniere where you know because the offense that the rangers generate that, that the that they ought to be generating that's what their roster is good for is this rush-based offense you know you you have this tendency to look for offense a little bit sooner you know stretch stretchier passes working you know you don't think well let's just get into the zone and see what happens you think well we got to make something happen in our own zone in the neutral zone gathering speed etc um but there's still they're still getting more from the circles considerably more from the circles than they're getting from the slot um this is this is also interesting too because it's so I'm always a little bit nervous when I go on podcasts or when I talk to somebody about a specific team because my sort of day to day is so focused on the league as a whole mm-hmm. and it's so easy to get you know if you follow one team you know that team super well and you might not notice trends that are going on for the whole league but one of the things that I have noticed is that the the entire league has also moved away from the slot into the circles more and more. Uh, and there I, I have my ideas, but I'm not particularly certain what is causing that, but the Rangers have not been immune to that either. So they're getting a healthy amount, especially from the right circle at five on five, uh, which is an improvement over last year. Um, and they're using the center point much, much less. So they're they're cho- when they have the puck in those spots, they're choosing instead to pass off to the sides to the left half wall or down to the right circles. Yeah. Um, the net front itself is still pretty weak. Um, the the slot, the lack of chances from the slot uh, is the same as last year. It's still pretty weak. Um, but on the whole, you know, it, it would depend on specific details of personnel if you were happy with those changes or not. Um, to me, it looks maybe a tiny bit better, uh, but not so much that I would say, well, you know, we gotta got to lock in those changes. Whatever we were doing, we got to make sure we keep doing it. I I would take a slightly more flexible attitude than that.
2: Gotcha. I have a question here about the Ranger's biggest uh, weakness, um, which I I think I already know the answer to uh, uh, from other analytics, which is uh, the rush is just off the rush. Depending on the rush, is just absolutely just terrible. Um, is that what you see? And then if that is, in fact, the the our biggest, most glaring weakness, what is our second most biggest weakness that we should be tackling?
1: So I, I do agree with that, um, that the rush defense is a real problem. And I think with with the Ranger personnel, one of the things about about those sort of stylistic aspects of roster construction is that if you construct a team with really good rush offense, that generally means weaker rush defense. Mm. And, and frequently stronger cycle defense that I don't have like hard data on that, but I've, I've started to notice that anecdotally, that offense and defense aren't traded off sort of just like that, but they are frequently traded off in specific styles. Mm. And so when you, when you, so that rush in particular, it's the rush offense, when you try to start it requires numbers of people moving quickly earlier in the play. Uh, and so you can get caught, so you can get caught early. Uh, and so it's it's especially maddening because it frequently takes the form of turnovers, either um, in the breakout or at the offensive blue line. You know, coaches love to go on about how they, you know, you gotta you gotta put a, a damper on these things, and and you see it coming out in the Rangers. But on the other hand, you also see the same pattern that I was just talking about about the slot not being used and the circles being used a lot more. You see that same pattern in the Rangers' opponent's shots as well. So so the the net front defense could be a fair bit better um the circle the sort of overall zone defense could be better uh but the slot defense is really strong um in fact there's even fewer shots being taken against the rangers from the slot at five on five than they are taking themselves through the slot so so there's you know depending on how you feel about the offensive pattern of shots the defensive pattern of shots is actually quite similar um which again is is this kind of thing that frequently happens where where the kinds of offense and defense that you're talking about match together. so on the one hand, you kind of you do want to look at the sort of you know make a sober assessment of your team say these are the strengths, these are the weaknesses but when you have a suspicion as I think you should here, that the specific weaknesses and the specific strengths are tied together, you want to be a little bit careful about oh we're going to cut that off right. we're going to improve that because if it's tied to like, it's kind of like saying, like, "Oh, my most serious expense is my commute, so I'm going to stop going to work." Right. You know, that, yeah, that, that'd be that nice. That might, that right, and that might well be true, uh, but that's not the solution. Right. You, know, you, you, there are definitely times where you want to say, "Well, you know, that's the price of playing like what we play," and uh, and looking for something else. As for as for a secondary thing, I might, uh, I think the way, and this is related to rush offense. I think the way that they. Um, that the Rangers defend leads specifically one goal leads uh, leaves a little bit to be desired. Awesome. Um, I think they give up the zone a little bit too easily. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's very natural. Score effects have been the same sort of broad pattern that teams that are leading allow more shots yep. and cause you don't you know. And this is actually goes back to what we were talking about before. You don't have the same incentive to take risks when you're already up because another goal has a smaller value. You, you are already winning. Uh, but it's so easy to fall into a trap where you take that idea too far. Um, and the Rangers have the kind of talent also that can burn teams on counterattacks and getting getting a second goal in a lead is the kind of thing that they should be trying to do a little bit more often. And because you can get into places, you can get into places where a second goal or even a third goal in a lead, effectively wins a game yeah even considerably earlier than you might expect you know like a two goal lead at any point in the third period this is you know going to sound insane but because fans are always conditioned to remember the painful painful times that stand out so bad if you are up by two at any point in the third you have basically already won the the historical chances of teams winning games in those sorts of circumstances are really really slim and so if you're up by one in the third, the benefit of you getting a second goal in terms of how likely you are to actually come away from the end of the game with two points is surprisingly high. I feel like just based on, on what I see from, from teams, I don't think coaches are realizing the benefit of those extra goals. So easy, especially to notice around like 10 minutes to go in the third where you can palpably watch teams change and sort of move into this defensive shell where yeah. they're, you know, the gaps all get bigger and they're you know, not going to get beaten clean. No one's going to wheel me, you know, all that kind of that. And I think part of the difficulty is that coaches will tell you, oh, I don't tell my guys to do anything different. We play the same way when we're winning. And you ha- as a coach, if you actually want that to be true, you have to very carefully watch how you treat players and what kinds of mistakes you highlight. When they're in that part of the game, you know that takes real care and diligence. Um, in fact, it's it, it might be extremely difficult to do to actually get players to play the same way when they're up by one, especially late in games. Um,
2: yeah, you'd you'd really have to be serious about encouraging that risk taking that you're talking about uh, to do that because it's. I mean, you see it all the time. It's long been something not even just in uh, uh, hockey, but also in football too, where. where uh, you know, teams have been playing great defense all game, very not giving up very many chances. And then once they go into protect the lead mode, it's like, oh, let's just uh, go ahead and let them get a ton of chances and hopefully like hold. Alain, up. Alain
0: Vigneault's turtle mode.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it, it doesn't make any sense to me, especially when you've you've been consistently shutting down all game long. And then it's like, or, or it also it pains me like at the end of the game where where you know it's like the oh the goalie's pulled now now. Don't pressure the puck carrier at all. Just let him tee off and get shots, and then maybe they'll get a deflection or a rebound, and now the game's tied up when, for the, all 59 minutes before that, they were not letting him do that at all. The way they succeeded was by not giving him, not giving him the space to do that. But yeah. no, at the end, we got to give him the space.
1: Yeah, and, and to be fair, you know, the comparison to Vino's turtling is, uh, is, is perfectly sensible. Um, but this year's Rangers are not as bad as that. So... You no, know, just to for a little bit of perspective. But they could still benefit from just that little bit more, you know, when you have a team which is which is better than most of their opponents on most nights, which is an enviable position to be in. But, you know, and, and sort of people don't like to say those things, even when they know that they're true. They don't like to say, well, you know, we know we're better and so we should play like it. But if you actually have a better roster than your opponent, even if it's not always true, even if it's just mostly true, you can tailor a scheme to that that will cause you to win even more than if you take this, we got to pretend like we're underdogs, we got to act humble, You know, we got to that kind of attitude. And and so you don't have to play on the ice the same way that you talk in interviews. Like you, there's this expectation, you know, if the media asks you, if some reporter puts a microphone in your face and says, so do you think you're better than them? You know, you can't be like, yeah, man. (laughs) they'll, They'll just eat you alive in the media. And, but it's a different thing as a coach, if you're trying to line up a strategy, if you think that you're better, then for instance, if you think that you have better finishers than your opponents, you should be playing a more run and gun style. You should be letting them have chances if you can get more chances of your own, because your guys are going to finish more of those goals.
2: Yeah,
1: right. That's that's one of those like strategic uh, patterns that we don't see very much. You see the other way around. You see guys saying, well, you know, we think we feel that we're weaker than them, and so we have to play super super locked down and when it's true that's also smart strategy but if you have the stronger team if you at whatever the specific skill you're looking at for comparing strengths then you want to tailor the game to your strengths as well as tailoring the game away from your weaknesses and the more the more players you have that have particular strengths the more you want to be tailoring your game to those strengths and so that's the approach I would take. I think it's definitely related to the way that they defend leads, where you know every time you get a lead, and even the weakest teams occasionally get them, you want, to, you want to think to yourself, do we now want to switch into a mode which lets us score again, or do we want to switch into a mode that lets them not score? And so the obvious tendency is to go for the latter choice just because your goals mean less when you're already winning, like we were talking about in the sequencing before. But when that moves you away from your personnel, then you can start spending a lot of time and energy on what you're much less likely to get. So it's kind of like exchange rates. If they move against you, then that's one thing you might have to adjust. But if you're much better at generating goals than you are at suppressing them, then the correct strategic choice is going to be score again more and because your personnel, you can, and this is one of the sort of subtle things, your personnel only change a little when the score changes. You know, you can, you can, and you see changes where different forwards get more, different defenders get more or less ice time, depending on who's winning. But you can only do that a little. The the central problems of fatigue that you only get to play for a little bit before ever you're too tired. Even the best players in the league can only go hard for like 50, 60, 70 seconds until they have to stop for a while. You know, that central physical fact of the sport means that adjustments like, oh, we'll play so-and-so more because we're winning and he's good at defending leads, that even if that is exactly correct, that only goes so far.
2: Right.
1: Whereas you can still say, as a roster, as a bunch of 18, it's always going to be easier for this year's Rangers to score again than it is... To suppress another goal, and so when you when you start from that, that should be the base plate that you make your adjustments relative to, rather than just the strategy that you use in a certain half of the game. Yeah, that makes
2: sense. How has uh,
0: sure, um, yeah, no, no, I I apologize. Um, there has been a bit of criticism with Fox uh, post injury. Uh, how has he looked on your models? Does that show
1: and what has he been lacking in so this is a case where i might be missing something because my standard approach is so broad where where my natural attitude is is to sort of look at big big swathes of time uh it's true that he's been scoring less specifically um since he came back from injury my gut is that i don't think it's a serious change in his action pardon me in his actual ability um there's always the chance, and people who, people who watch him more closely could easily disagree with me on this, uh, but I don't see anything from where I'm sitting in his results since he came back from his injury that make me think that it's anything more than just the natural ebb and flow of what you get when you play a ton of minutes, where sometimes the chances go in and sometimes they don't. Um, sort of In, in macro stuff, it, it still looks pretty good to me. He still looks extremely strong.
2: Really, that is that is actually very surprising because it does the eye test. I think for almost everyone since the injury has been like he's not quite been the same player. He's not making quite as many dazzling plays. He's not lighting it up quite as much. And it's not just a result of like not getting maybe as many assists or goals or or chances. Even physically, it's like a little it's like the little micro plays that we see him make all the time routinely that he just doesn't seem to be doing as much. So it's interesting that's not showing up yet. I guess
1: well, this is this is one of those places where I might be prone to defer to people who watch and watch well uh which i don't i'm i'm not a particularly um expert watcher of the game i watch extraordinary amounts as you might imagine for somebody who makes it as my living but i'm not a coach and i don't watch like a coach watches and so for instance if if he's not actually fully healed then then you would see those kinds of distinctions and it might take a long time you know when you take when you take this this sort of view as I do as a professional concern you know that you're going to look at really long swathes of time so that random fluctuations don't fool you then you can instead get fooled by fluctuations that aren't random and so injury fluctuations are the most are the most obvious ones um where and sometimes but then again just like just like the other fluctuations you know some fluctuations are just luck and they literally have no origin of any kind and so you know when you ascribe origin to them you're just You know making constellations from the patterns in the stars where it's completely made up Uh, but other times the fluctuations and injuries uh have a very real source but they can go away just as quickly you know you have an injury it hasn't rehabbed all the way obviously it's rehabbed enough that they feel he can come back at some point it's going to complete that rehab and then it's just going to be like okay now it's not an issue anymore
2: right
1: stuff like you, you get into things like this where some people talk about timing where you know you just play enough your timing comes back and it's fine and how much is enough well strength and conditioning coaches might know i don't so that kind of because i don't have the base data to be able to analyze that and and you know you're you going to like put a microphone in somebody's face and be like how do you feel on a scale of one to five i like guess you're not yeah. going to get any data about that maybe if you had like incredibly sensitive you know there's models for everything but some models are easy to make relatively and other ones are almost impossible right so mental changes like guys just not seeing things right you're not going to pick that up in some sort of model except at a very large scale where now everything that you were actually interested in has gotten swamped by other effects right. so so just because i'm not seeing a bit of fox doesn't mean it's not there um but but i haven't seen anything that would make you worry like oh he's not gonna be the same anymore.
2: right yeah okay well that and, and that is comforting i'm glad to hear that too um Actually, kind of on a similar sort of uh line of thinking there, uh, but instead of injuries, uh, old age. Uh Blake Wheeler Wheeler has been on the first line for uh you know a good portion of the season so far. Uh what does what does he look like on this team? What do his numbers look like? And is that a bad thing for a first line?
1: Uh I think it's it's not great, sort of is the very short answer. Uh <laughs> I don't I don't think Wheeler is a particularly strong player. In fact, I think he's he's probably not long for the league, to be totally honest.
2: Yeah.
1: Um the he's 37. You know, I, I say that I'm 39, so obviously I'm one step out of the crit. But yeah. um the but for an NHLer, 37 is quite old. The yeah. uh, I think actually part of the trouble, if you like, with Wheeler is that his minutes in Winnipeg for the last bunch of years were much higher than he deserved. And and part of why Winnipeg has succeeded as much as they've done is that they've been able to give those minutes to people who are doing much, much better in them Mm. and disguised a lot of that, a lot of that weakness by the fact that he was still putting up points and, and points based evaluation was always very kind to him Mm. uh, relative to like a complete offense, all offense, not just points and also defense and, you know, penalties, the whole, like we try to put it all together. Uh, So I don't think he's fallen off very seriously. I think he has been this bad for several years now. Um, But I think the Rangers are uniquely or at least specially suited to be able to insulate those kinds of flaws. Um, If you're going to play a player like that, this is a little bit paradoxical. Players like that cannot be insulated in the bottom six. You can't carry a guy like that with regular, everyday, work hard, don't make big mistakes, nothing flashy players. The, because you can expose those players by making sure that Wheeler has to do a lot with the puck. The, and you can expose them again by just getting behind them. The, and now you're you're basically taking situations that look like 5-on-5 five five and turning them into 4-on-5. But you can insulate those kinds of players with excellent skaters, and that's what I feel like the Rangers have done. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that, that um, Kreider and Zibanejad especially have been very good at covering up for the things that especially is advantage for covering up the things that wheeler does poorly and so Sorry. you know what I, that's sort of a weird thing where if you're going to play him on your team at all i think i think what the rangers are doing with him now is smart i think that's where you have to put him to make him not be a liability that
2: is such a counterintuitive but makes sense that that as bad as he is on the first line that he would actually be worse on all the other lines as well like his type of play good.
0: doesn't seem like it would be good on the third line like that type of play seems like you need minutes except with that many minutes he's not going to be good but yeah
1: and you get into these catch 22s when you have flaw you know good or play I don't want to say good cuz overall he's not particularly good but players with strengths you know not without some strong elements those are the kinds of players that you can cover up you know if you have a player who's just extremely ordinary and you see them every year they they crop up regularly on fourth lines when other guys get injured you know guys who don't have anything wrong with them but also don't really have anything right with them just like a guy like you can put those people anywhere and you won't get much and you won't get hurt much whereas if you have somebody unusual somebody like a phil kessel somebody like like a blake wheeler somebody like any number of other players like a Jesse Pujiarvi, sort of a great example. The other way around, we have yeah. great defensive abilities and no offensive abilities. Just yeah. the, the the opposite to those other two guys. You know, you get, you can put those players in specific situations where they will succeed, and it will be weird. And some guys will only go on a third line, and some guys will only go on a first line, and and that's one of the few places where I feel like these strong distinctions between lines are actually really valuable. You know, broadly I advocate for saying, well, just put all your twelve best guys on your twelve best forwards on your four lines, and just make them all be different sorry make them all be the same but um but sometimes you get weird player archetypes and so if i wasn't gonna put wheeler basically where he is i would scratch him
2: yeah
1: and that's that's it's funny because i rail against this kind of treatment when it happens to up and coming young players who i feel like you would say well you know actually he might turn into all kinds of different things and you could make him into a useful player who could play up and down the line You shouldn't just treat him like he's top line or top six or nothing. But for Wheeler, I think that's true. And more often, actually, I think that is the case for veterans. Sometimes, like Daniel Alfredson, I feel like, could have probably had an extra year in the league if he could have played for a team that said, we're only going to play you every second night.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because he was still playing extremely well, but he couldn't recover quickly, which I think was purely an age effect. Right. And so... It's not often that people can be like, well, we're just going to pay you a full year salary and you're only going to play 40, maybe 50 games. And and for a for a rookie, that can't be the plan ever. Right. But for a vet, it can be the plan if you have the money and the cap to be able to afford to do stuff like that. But that kind of thinking is often how you have to deal with veterans. You have to do these sort of counterintuitive things things where you're dealing with the weaknesses in a specific way, also getting the strengths in a specific way where you're not taking a development approach because with Blake Willard, there's nothing to develop. Yeah. You know, he's Not only is he what he is, he's been what he is for a decade. Right. And coaches overestimate, in my mind, how much they can change the younger players um, and, and for older players, you've basically got to accommodate them or you have to just be rid of them. And that's that's sort of difficult because a lot of players, like I don't know if this strategy of scratching wither could ever work. For all I know, he may be the kind of player who would just say, Well, you know what? If that's how it's gonna be, I'm done. Yeah. Plenty plenty of players. Can we try that with retro? <laughs> yeah, lots of players just, just quit. If they're not gonna get regular minutes, then they're not in the league, you know. They have to go through incredible difficulties to get their bodies ready to play. So if they're not gonna get to play, then what's the point?
2: yeah what's the point yeah and
1: i i understand that perfectly and that's where like managing personalities comes into it too It's another thing that that i am rubbish at it's a good thing nobody pays me to do it because i would do it <laughs> yeah I,
0: I couldn't even stand a treadmill for like five minutes so like the what what these players do it, it's very understandable they're not gonna get the minutes uh, yeah, uh, So why bother uh,
2: why uh
1: coaches of course like DJ Smith just got fired in Ottawa. He had a reputation as being beloved by all of his players, and which is a specific aspect of coaching uh, that not all coaches in the league do very well. Some coaches, even some good coaches, are very bad at it. John Tortorella being an obvious example. The, <laughs> what at, do you, mean? At, the, you know, Some people are quite happy to say, you know, my way or the highway. Yeah. And if the highway, if if his way is good, then it's great. And if it's not, or even if it just causes problems, then you just – Sometimes you say to yourself, well, you know, that's life and we'll just, as an organization, we'll just deal with the problems when they come up. This is exactly the same as we were talking about with Wheeler, the same as we were talking about any number of players before that, just at the next level up. We're going to accept the strengths and we're going to deal with the weaknesses.
2: Yeah.
0: So um, a question I had that I've, I've always wanted to know, I, I figured that there are differences, but what exactly they are. Does the team play differently, whether it's quick or Schuster? And, and if so, in what areas are they different?
1: So I was I was surprised. I looked at this before, and I was surprised to learn that the answer uh, seems to be no. That's wow! Amazing. Really? Surprisingly, similarly, in terms of shots against, at least in terms of chances against, which is the, the obviously the the most obvious thing, you know, fluctuations in offense are presumably just random. The for goalies, um, but but no, like within within a hundredth of uh, of an xG per sixty, the same for for both. And, and I, th- I was ruminating about it. I think perhaps one of the differences is that they play a more similar style, the two goaltenders, a more similar style than you might expect at first. Um, they both play quite aggressively. They're both quite mobile. Um, makes an interesting contrast, actually, between those two and, say, Lundqvist, who was the opposite of that. Played with a lot more depth, a lot more passive, a lot more careful. And, uh, but rebound numbers look very similar. The 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 chances all follow the same kind of patterns. A lot from the circles, hardly any from the slot, um, and so no, I'm I'm not seeing a lot of difference there. Which is uh, typically you find at least something, um, but I didn't see anything to hang my hat on.
2: That is that is very interesting, yeah, because it does it does experientially feel that way, but obviously that's subject to a number of biases. Um, it's interesting you said like you know presumably the uh, the offense in front of them would be would be random It wouldn't have anything to do with the goaltender. I do wonder if there is some sort of psychological impact with that though, where if you if you do feel like you have you know a a you know, attendee that can bail you out uh, of a game that you're maybe less likely to take as many risks to, in trying to get goal support for him. You know it, you know could there possibly be something to that?
1: There could, and in fact there is an offensive difference in the Rangers in quicks games versus Shesterkin's games. Um specifically they generate a fair bit more offense um in quicks games than they do in Shesterkin's. Uh, okay, and that, uh, that, and that, that makes no, checks
2: out. And that makes no sense because Shesterkin is one of the better people at handling the puck and actually being able to get good outlet passes and things like that on his own. And they too. would take more
0: risks with him.
2: So you would you would think it would be the opposite that you you they they would perform better offensively with uh, Shesterkin who handles the puck so much better than, than Quick does.
1: You would think. And in fact, it would dovetail with what you were just saying that about about risk-taking specifically. And you would you would expect that, though, if it was having the offensive effect, you would expect it to be having an even stronger defensive effect. Right. Which I'm not seeing. So, But then, as always, there's the case, you know, you see two numbers and they're the same number. It's easy to be like, well, those two things are the same thing. But for something as complicated as like total team shots over a big length of time, you could easily be seeing multiple effects that are that are canceling each other out. So for instance, I it seems unlikely that you could assign you know, 0.3 or 0. 0.4 goals worth per 60 just to stick handling abilities. The you know, even if shisterkins are demonstrably better. But but you could easily be seeing something like A double effect where you're getting something is making the defense worse but something else is making the defense better and so qualitatively it'll look really different even if quantitatively it doesn't
2: ah yeah that makes sense
1: so you know that's that's one of those things too where you're constantly in this push and pull you know every analyst no matter how they're doing it is constantly going through the same thing where you know if you focus on a couple games you only learn about those games but then if you try to zoom out and look at a whole season you're Discarding all kinds of interesting information that might be really important, and so I I would have expected to see more of a difference. Though it's not even just the shot, the shot um, like total offense against, but but even the patterns, the same places, the same. I mean, it's the same defense, right? Basically.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, the only thing, of course, is that it could be different opponents. That's one of the things that that coaches love to do is use certain goalies for certain opponents. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't notice anything along those lines either, but maybe you would, knowing more.
0: It seemed to be that Quick was playing a lot versus Western teams because of his familiarity uh, familiarity with uh, being that he was with LA for so long.
1: That makes perfect sense.
2: Yeah, interesting. Uh, well, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation here, and uh, we've taken. A I love lot- how
0: though it's like perfectly Rangers answers. Like there isn't one or the other. It's just like a unique different than it should be answers <laughs> not like not like yeah so this is normal no no this is the rangers and it should be like this but it's the rangers so
1: <laughs> well it's uh, funny you were you were asking some questions about Adam, right, really? uh i think a lot of a lot of the same discussion would apply there also uh with somewhat different conclusions like a, I, I feel like a lot of why they've struggled is that they uh chase Ottawa specifically chase leads very very poorly, and they defend leads uh, pretty well, and so being in situations you know the same, the same problems only the other way around. But we well. if we went to separate what Ottawa, we would take all day again. Yeah, wow,
2: that's yeah, it, it is. I, I find this stuff really interesting. It's been a very enlightening conversation, and I very much appreciate your time here. Um, so I, I just have one question here to end it with, um, which is. Is there a pattern on what goes wrong when the Rangers lose? Is there something that that uh in their losses has been very consistent of this is why they're losing these games? And is their Talk name Barclay the...
1: Goodrow? <laughs> uh, I specifically I don't I don't see anything with Goodrow. Um I you can always find, you know, curiosities about, although even then I didn't see anything that jumped out at me about about losses. It's some teams are more characteristic when they lose. Other teams are more characteristic when they win. So the And the Rangers, to me, fall more strongly in the latter category, where their okay. wins have this much more common character, um, where they they score early and then score again, where they like put games out of reach sooner. Uh, in particular, I've been really impressed with the way that they jump out to leads in the very first minutes of first periods a lot. Mm. Uh, a lot more than most of the other teams in the league. So the wins have this... Have the you know, and when they don't, you know, even when they sometimes have to wait for a long time before they're getting their first goals, you know that that puts them in a bit of a bind. Um, But that's not as characteristic as as the wins, where they you know the score early, score often, especially early, uh, is really characteristic. But the losses don't have that same consistency to them. Uh, which is disappointing, I guess, if you're looking for a, like, if only the coach, if only the GM would do X, Y, or Z, we would be so much better. I don't think there are any easy, eh, obvious improvements that way, which is part and parcel of being one of the better teams. You know, the 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 weaker teams, you're going to see patterns in losses. Mm. Whereas stronger teams, you're going to see more patterns in wins just because you're looking at the bigger end of the
2: stick. Right. Wow. Sorry no 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 that, that's a, no that's a good answer too I appreciate that um yeah no I learned a lot today I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation
0: yeah um thank you so much uh before obviously we go would you want to plug anything in regarding hockey viz or
1: anything that you're working on I think the site is good people should go to <laughs> it mean, in fact one of the things when, I, when people ask me to plug stuff you know I you, you can certainly pay me money and I love it if you do um, subscriptions are reasonably cheap five or ten bucks a month depending on, on how much you want to get and you can see exactly what you get at hockeyviz.com. but uh, I especially recommend it just for casuals who want to get the stuff that's free it's uh, th- uh, maybe half the site is completely free you can look up all kinds of stuff without having to give me a dime uh, and one of the things that I like about it one of the reasons I made it the way that I did uh, is that it's all pictures and there's there's numbers of course when you want to compare things properly and I do numerical work for a living but but the idea of the viz in the title is not an accident it really is you know you got to get used to it you got to get figure out how we're looking at stuff but once you get a handle on being able to compare things with pictures that unlocks a relative way of working in your brain that i think everyone has a facility for whether they're mathematically inclined or not um, And so you definitely don't have to decipher tables full of numbers you can just look at something and be like oh wow that looks like i guess that must mean that that guy's really good and then you dig into it and it means he's really good you know that kind of You know you don't you got to learn it to know but the guesses are very frequently good and you can you know you can just look at something and be like oh i wonder how much the rangers had injuries on defense and there's a graph for that and you look oh just fox okay you know that's that kind of like taking a whole swath of information at a glance. That's what the website is good for. It's, you know, you want details like, you know, what's going on on these face-off plays, you know, then you need a fancier website with lots of tables. But the but if you just want to understand stuff about the sport in a broad stroke way that lets you drill down later, that's what I think the site is good for. And I encourage people to check it out.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, you absolutely should. I uh, really appreciate the work that you do. and uh... I also,
0: uh, sorry, one more thing. I did see uh, one of those pictures uh, yesterday or, or like two days ago with the Rangers' chances against. And that red area in front of the net it's just like that uh or uh gif of like stop it's already dead i mean <laughs> that was just another shade of red there
1: well the the net full chances are a problem that they could definitely fix up got it oh, so do
0: um again thank you micah uh, we really appreciate it and uh, hopefully we'll have you on some more time